tonight's message, week five, what's your picture? Really brief summary, after three and a half years of learning to depend on God, growing his measure of faith, Elijah, I'm going to go ahead and tell you all, the enemy does not want me to preach this message. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, so if y'all want to be praying during it, just whatever y'all need to do. Elijah has walked out his purpose in this particular assignment beautifully. He's dependent on a brook uh, that dried up for water. He's dependent on ravens to bring him food. He trusted in God for bread and water from a widow. He prayed, resurrected healing power over a widow's son, which remember that was the first resurrection recorded in scriptures. <clears throat> he called out the prophets of Baal and Asherah, proved that they were false gods. Amen. Fire came down from heaven. The prophets of Baal were killed. Rain came down. Everyone knew at this point Elijah's God was God, and Baal and Asherah, they weren't. Can we agree on that? And God gave, and then after all that, God gives Elijah the supernatural ability to outrun a rainstorm. Y'all remember that? Like, 14 and a, he ran 14 and a half miles outrunning King Ahab's chariot from the top of a mountain. I was talking about that men's group, and, and someone said, well, yeah, because, you know, speed down a mountain. You know, it's like, get out of here. <laughs> the drought's over. God's gotten all the glory, right? Now, something I want to point out. This whole time, the one that convinced Ahab and the whole nation of Israel to totally take Yahweh out of everything wasn't present anywhere. Y'all know who it is? Jezebel. She marries Ahab, convinces him to change the entire religion, gets God out of everything, out of the government, out of the, the temple, everything. And then when it's time to call on the false god and her real gods, Jezebel is nowhere to be found. And we see at the end of 1 Kings 18, where we ended last week, that Ahab and Elijah, they ran to Jezreel. And Elijah actually got there first. That's important to remember. And Jezreel is actually the place where, guess who was staying? Jezebel. So we're picking up in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Y'all ready? When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Now, there's a couple of things I see right off the bat right here in verse 1, believe it or not. The first thing I see is why after seeing that Baal is false, and Yahweh is real. Now remember, he sees that Baal and Asherah and all these guys are false. And then Elijah's like, hey, king, go get some food and go get some rest. And the king's like, yes, sir. You know, he's listening to Elijah at this point because he's seeing that everything that he's known is false. He goes to Jezebel. The first thing I'm thinking is why is after seeing that Baal is false and Yahweh is real, did he immediately go back to his previous way of thinking instead of testifying to Jezebel about truth? And there are so many who trade truth for comfort. 
They see truth. They see the reality of God. They see the power of God. But when they go back to their lifestyle, they'll trade the truth of God for the comfort of their lifestyle in a moment. You see, once he was safe, all he saw was his wife, Jezebel. And he traded everything he saw for a relationship that was actually built out of pure manipulation. Jezebel didn't really care about Ahab. Jezebel wanted Ahab because she wanted what Ahab had. Ahab was the king. The king had total control. Jezebel, not, not only was she not in authority, she was a woman. She couldn't get anything done that she wanted. So what does she do? You know, she puts on her makeup. Does her hair. Hey, Ahab. Right? <laughs> I'm not speaking against makeup. Some of y'all need it. All right. That's all right. I'm single for a reason. Here we go. Someone said, Amen. I rebuke you. Where's I at? Jezebel didn't love Ahab. Jezebel didn't want to serve Ahab. Jezebel wanted to use Ahab's position and authority to build her own platform based on her ways her opinions, and her values. And she was going to manipulate the king's authority to get what she wanted. And Ahab was totally blind to this manipulation. And there are so many people blinded by manipulation. Even to the extreme where they see God, but they give him up in a moment. And everyone has been a victim of manipulation. And I will go as far as to say that probably everyone has been a victim to manipulating. And if you say you've never manipulated, you're lying to yourself. We've all fallen to it at one point or the other. Let me just start this whole message off by giving you my thoughts about Jezebel. I think sometimes when we talk about Jezebel's spirit, we are limiting it to just one thing. The fact of the matter is, there is always going to be spirits around where you can call it Jezebel spirit or you ain't even got to give it a name, where it's waiting on someone to think the way it thinks. And the moment you think the way it thinks and it finds agreement, it's going to use your thoughts to get its way. That is how a Jezebel spirit or a whatever name you want to call it spirit works. If it can get you to think like it, and agree with it, then you're going to come, then you're going to start doing things it wants without you even knowing that you're operating in agreement. That's why the Bible continually talks about tra be transformed by the changing of your mind. Take every thought captive. Because if you start thinking a certain way, that spirit has already got you. Is this making sense? <clears throat> the other thing I want to point out is that Jezebel was shocked. You see, Jezebel honestly hated God. And she truly believed in her gods, Baal, Asherah. 
which is why she devoted everything to manipulating everything to be positioned around her goal of giving God out of Israel. And I'm just going to say this, people who manipulate sometimes don't know they are manipulating because they honestly believe and validate their motives based off of things that are not God that they call God. That's what Jezebel's doing. Jezebel is justifying her manipulation, believing that her gods are real and Yahweh is not. And she's going to do whatever she can to manipulate her way, trying to get God out of the way. Because in her mind, my God is God. That's why she was shocked to find out that her God didn't do a thing, and Elijah's God did everything, and all the prophets of her God died and everyone else is on the mountain in revival. And when she heard what was done, she didn't repent. She didn't humble herself. She didn't say, you know what, maybe I've got it wrong. She responded with a threat. This is okay so far? This is, what, this is the threat, verse 2. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. She was mad. She basically said, you exposed the lie of Baal and the truth of Yahweh. I'll kill you within 24 hours. Now, at this point, in my thinking, if I was Elijah, I, I think I would have laughed at her. Like, woman, I just called down fire from heaven and called a drought for three and a half years and called a rain and told your husband to go eat, and he said, yes, sir, I ain't worried about you. But instead, look what happens in verse 3. <clears throat> Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left the servant there. Now, I want to read this exact same verse in, in the King James Version. When he saw, when he saw that, can we say that together? When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. At the threat of this woman Jezebel, Elijah didn't just hear her words. He saw her work. He painted a picture. And it created fear so heavy in him that he fled some 80 miles to Beersheba. <clears throat> and there are so many times when we hear things and instead of focusing on God, we begin to paint a picture that was never meant to be painted and then we make moves off of those images. Sometimes you hear things from people. <clears throat> Sometimes we hear things from the news. Sometimes we hear things from the enemy. I'm not telling you about anything you're not experiencing right now in the world. No one got scared of a virus until the news made it horrifying. Until the news made it horrifying, everyone treated the virus like every other virus. And it did fine. 
I'm not saying it ain't real. People are dying. People are hurting. But let me tell you something the Bible is very clear about. Fear feeds things. Don't be so naive that there is nothing spiritual about this. There is something spiritual behind all things. And instead of leaning into the truth, we let fear drive us into a place we were never meant to go. That's what Elijah's doing. He's painted this picture of, oh my gosh, I'm going to die in 24 hours. And because he paints this picture, he's seeing all the possibilities. Because remember, uh, Jezebel has killed all the prophets in the, in the past. So, he, so he's like, oh my gosh, the possibilities. He's painting the picture and he starts to run. Now think about it. Elijah had been learning to depend on God. Especially in this last three and a half years. The dude just called down fire from heaven, identified rain, was being taken care of by ravens and dried up brooks and widows. God had taken care of him every single step of the way. And for some reason, even though God took him to Jezreel, instead of trusting that God was going to come through this time, he trusted in the threat of a woman over the leading of God? Well, let, me, let me read the passage from last week, 1 Kings 18, 45 through 46. <coughs> Soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. And then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak in his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. God had led him every step of the way, including running ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. If God took him to Jezreel, why didn't he focus on that instead of the threat? In a moment, he went from three and a half years of total dependence to fear because of a picture. And Jezebel got what she wanted. She wanted to discredit the prophet of God. I want you to think about all these newly converted believers on the mountain. All she had to do was say, see y'all, this powerful prophet is running scared. And we are at a time in the world where the people of God, of God are, I believe, in one of two places. We're standing strong or we're justifying fear. Just like Elijah dealing with a threat from Jezebel. So Elijah runs, scared of a picture of a possibility instead of trusting in God. Verse 4, <clears throat> and then he went on alone into the wilderness, <coughs> traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now I want to make sure we get the, the picture right. Because when we think of wilderness, everyone thinks of wilderness as in like forests and trees. This was a desert. And a broom tree was a random tree in the desert. Okay? That's what a broom tree was. So you're looking at Elijah's in the wilderness, the desert, okay? 
It's not like it's a, you know, the land flowing of milk and honey here. He sits down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough. Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right? <laughs> I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I know better than my ancestors who have already died. Not only did he run 80 miles away, but he got alone in the wilderness. See, he ran 80 miles, told the servant to stay back, then he got alone in the wilderness. And he prayed his own death. He was basically suicidal. He wanted to die. This mighty man of God who just prayed down fire and rain, this mighty man of God who just spoke a drought for three and a half years is now speaking his own death? Does he not understand the power of words by this point? Like he literally said, it ain't going to rain till I say it's going to rain. Then he said, I'm going to call down fire from heaven. And then he's like, hey, I'm going to identify rain. Everything he said has come true. He's now, and now he's saying, I, I, I want to die. Like, there's power in his words, and he is just speaking this so, like, like, this is really what he wants. Elijah has said, I have had enough. I'm stressed. I'm exhausted. I've obviously accomplished nothing. Have you ever felt like that? That no matter what you do, you don't accomplish anything? Like, you raise kids in all the right ways, and they don't listen to a dang thing you say? So I've heard. Right? I mean, I can identify, it's, I mean, having a church, it's like raising a bunch of kids. Okay, okay. <laughs> Elijah says, see, some of y'all are, mm-hmm. Elijah says, I've had enough, I'm stressed, I'm exhausted, I've obviously accomplished nothing. He, he's like saying, what happened on Mount Carmel? God, I, I waited three and a half years. I depended on you. I learned how to depend on the ravens and the brook. And I, I did the widow thing. And I raised the kid from, from death to life. And, you know, I, I, I waited out the drought. And I brought on the fire. And the rain came. And now they all worse than Baal again. What's the point, God? And he's so focused on what he considered failure that he took God's appointment of worthy and he said, no, God, I'm unworthy. Take my life. You know what's kind of funny about this is the man who prayed, God, kill me, is one of the only few in the Bible that never died. <laughs> like, can you imagine Elijah thinking about this prayer when he was taken up in heaven? Thanking God that this prayer was never answered. You ever think, you ever think about that? See, there are reasons some prayers never get answered in the way you think they should be answered. And you, you might not know why until you look back at the end of your life, as David said. And let me say this. When God makes you worthy, don't ever think that even your failures can undo what he did. Start to walk in the picture of what he made you to be, not what people are trying to put on you. What is the title's message? What's your picture? A lot of you are limiting what you could be in this life based off of a picture that someone else has put in your mind. You grew up with a mama or a daddy that said you could never be, so you're limiting your dreams. 
Or you've got a life of I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. So when uh, um, s- someone gives you a word saying, I believe God wants to do this in your life, you immediately say, not me, I'm not worthy. You are not big enough to deem unworthy what God has called worthy. Make sure that the picture that's leading you is the one that he's putting on you. Not anyone else. He says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. You let that picture lead your life. Not the picture that your past is painting. Not the picture that your relatives are trying to paint or your friends are trying to paint or your failed career trying to paint. Let me give you the picture that's going to guide your life. Is 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 it good? Good. Worked hard on it. So after Elijah went through his hissy fit, anybody have a hissy fit every once in a while? No, yeah, none none of us. Mm -mm. Look what happens (laughs) in verse five. Then he laid down and and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Can I just stop here for a minute? I love how real God is. He doesn't say, get up and read my word, O faithful servant. He doesn't say, get up and do a a, a fast. He says, I know you're hungry. Before I deal with the spiritual climate of your life, let's deal with the physical. Let me get you ready to receive what I've got for you. And I think that's what the church has got backwards. Like, let's get you saved so that we can meet your need. <laughs> like, come to church to get the blessing instead of just blessing. Right? As he was sleeping, the angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Isn't that awesome? Not just bread, but like hot bread. So he ate. It's easy to be obedient to God in those times, right? (laughs) All right, God. So he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up, eat some more, or the journey of heaven will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate, he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days, 40 nights. I tell you, that number 40 in the Bible so much, if God ever says something about 40, I'm just going, (laughs) (laughs) gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Look at the mercy of God. Elijah is praying to die, and God answered in the exact opposite way. Here's what you need to be sustained. I want to read this passage from Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Do not forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I've done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. Amen. I will cause Flipper to pray from the east, a leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. I have said what I will do, and I will do it. I love God. 
He's like, don't get it mistaken. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Get that picture at the forefront of your mind. Why should I worry? Why should I fear? Why should I stop? Nothing is in vain. God will have his way. God's going to have his way. Nothing is a waste of time, even if we don't see fruit from the investment. Isn't it sad that so many churches close doors because they don't see what their version of worth it is? Because the American version of worth it is hundreds of people and thousands of people. But what if God only graced you for 12 and wanted you to pastor 12? Amazing. But you're too prideful for 12. Or you want to be a boss in your company, but you can't lead a family of three. Okay. And you get that gut check just now, but you won't be humble enough to say, hey, I need some help in the management. See, that's why we're called to be the church. To be transparent. To help build each other up. Not put you down, but to help paint the right picture. So, Elijah's eating a second meal. He says, now you're ready to go for 40 days and 40 nights. God's like, you done? You, you, you done sulking? You done praying for death? You full? Get up and eat. I know you're too weak to get the food. I'm providing it again. God ministered to his physical needs in order to minister to the spiritual ones. God is so funny. He, he's like, just like I had to deal with my doubting children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, let me get you physically ready for me, for me to deal with your spiritual stuff for 40 days in the desert on the way to the mountain. Isn't that funny? Let me get you ready to deal with you. So Elijah is traveling for 40 days, and he's having a lot to think about. You know, the Bible actually does talk about self-reflection. It says things like renew, you, renew your mind, that by testing you will discern the will of God. It says sit down and count the cost, examine yourself to see whether uh, you are in the faith. Elijah had 40 days to get his mind postured and ready for God to do what he wanted to do. And I think sometimes we want God to show us this or show us that. But have you taken the time to be ready for that ask? Get the ground ready for the rain. You want to preach? That was good. I'm serious. That was. We all, God, do this. But are you ready for this? God, we want revival. You can't even give me 10 minutes. God, pour your spirit out. I mean, we, we ask all these big things, but nothing about our life merits it. Do you have this false picture 
that it's easy? So I think for a minute, Elijah did, oh, this is easy. Fire, rain, revival, we've got it. Or do you understand that trials will come and it's not going to be easy? And you may be successful in everything, but that don't mean it's going to look successful. Elijah spends a 40-day journey, plenty of time for self-reflection. God providing the physical sustenance to make this 40-day journey. So after this 40-day journey, it says in verse 9, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, at first you you would think, well, you told him to walk for 40 days to the mountain. <laughs> but I, he, I don't, I don't, God's not asking Elijah about the location. He's asking Elijah, what brought you to the point where I had to bring you to this location? Well, what are you doing? Because God obviously knew the answer. But God is allowing Elijah right now to speak to him freely about what was on his, what, what was on his heart. Instead of like he did previously, just begging to die. He's like, all right, now that we've gotten that little, you know, oh, I want to die, I hate my life. Yada. Now, now, talk to me. Verse 10, Elijah replied, Well, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. they killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Two things here. Number one, many times when you stand for God, you will feel alone and all by yourself. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Number two, if he was truly the only one left, isn't that even more reason to stand for God (laughs) instead of running? But Elijah was depressed and he was discouraged. And when you're vulnerable with God about where you're at, he'll meet you with what you need. And I think one thing the church has done a horrible job of is we try to teach people to mask Depression and discouragement. And come to the altar and praise God and you're healed. No, talk to God about your depression. You have nothing to be embarrassed about. Talk to God about the fact that you're discouraged. Talk to God about the fact that you're sad. Talk to God about the fact that you're angry. He wants intimacy. He doesn't want fake. He wants Just like he wants all of the altar that he licked up with the fire, he wants all of you. Why does he want you to be transparent about the depression and the discouragement? So that he can take you to a place where you're in the presence of him so that he can minister to the depression and the discouragement and all the things you're trying to hide behind the traditional church altar call. If I can just be real. Because that's what it's become. It's let me take five minutes to act like everything's okay so I can get the praise of people and we'll walk out the door the same as before. God wants to hear the real you. Don't try to paint a false picture for him. He knows what's going on. He wants intimacy. So he offers that to Elijah. He's like... Dude, just talk to me. So Elijah did. He said, man, 
the, 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 the people of Israel, they've broken their covenant, they've torn your altars, they killed everyone. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me too. That's why I'm running. That's why I'm scared. So, after he's finally real with God, God gives Elijah exactly what he needs. A personal encounter. Is this okay? Okay. Verse 11, he says, go out and, uh, this, is, this is like, I think this is my favorite part of the chapter, believe it or not. I think everyone focuses on the Jezebel part too much. She's nothing. Okay. We're going to talk about her more, but she's nothing. Okay. 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. Well, that, that's pretty familiar. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. There are so many times we look for God in dramatic manifestations and we curse the whisper. And we say things like, oh, it was depressing and there, the fire of God wasn't in the room and it was, it was quiet. And there is no whisper from God that is illegitimate. We've got to stop worshiping and glorifying the shout over the whisper. God even said it. I'm not in the fire. I sent it. But I'm not in it. You know, it's funny. Elijah is depressed that dramatic manifestations aren't changing the nation. But what he's about to learn is that the gentle whisper of God is actually more powerful than those, than those displays of power. What is your picture? Are you still after your picture of God? Or simply God? Because I think sometimes our picture of God is the big dramatic. Thousands of people running to the front. Hundreds of baptisms every day. Things that are amazing. And I want those things to happen. But don't overlook the gentle whispers that change the lives of people that lead to dramatic manifestations. I believe the more and more that I, I, I feel like I... I, I I'm, I'm hearing from God. I think we're in a day where we've overlooked the gentle whisper so much that the remnant is going to arise up by the ones who actually start listening for the flipping gentle whisper. I really believe it. I want to see great things. I want to see the dramatic. I want to see the power of God. I want to see the dead rise from the grave. I want to see the blind see and, and, and the lame walk. But I also want to see the people just start to live for him because they see the picture that is whispered in their ear. I mean, have we forgotten that the total restored soul is in no need of a spiritual gift? Can I touch on that for a moment? Spiritual gifts are for today, 
for the purpose of total restoration, which will happen at the end of time when Jesus comes and restores everything. But when he places back on the new earth, we won't have any spiritual gifts because we'll have no what? Need. We can't worship a thing that's temporary. So don't idolize temporary gifts. Embrace whispers that lead you to use whatever, whenever, however. Don't let the gift be your picture. Let Yahweh be the picture. Verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face when he heard that gentle whisper. Now remember, God's been talking to him this entire time. But this time he heard the gentle whisper. And he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the exact same conversation. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. This is the exact same conversation. Elijah gives him the exact same answer. Verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. When Elijah heard God's voice is when he realized he was in the presence of God. And we see it because he immediately humbled himself. He wrapped his face. It was a symbol that he was not worthy to endure the sight of God. God asked the same question. Elijah answers the same way. But because of Elijah's posture of humble obedience to the presence of God, this time God gave Elijah some work to do. Because Elijah was still transparent, this is where I'm at. But he was transparent in a new posture. No longer complaining, intimacy. And I know who I'm talking to. I'm before my God. I'm no longer embarrassed to be before you. I'm all open. Another. So God says, Elijah, here's some more work to do. In other words, now that you've stopped looking to yourself about, and you've started to refocus on me, let me give you an assignment to keep your focus. And I think sometimes we like to glory on previous assignments. Like we get caught up in yesterday so much that we stop listening to God on for today. Think about the whole time Elijah's, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And God's like, "Mm -hmm. you done? And when Elijah finally got refocused, I got more work for you. What's funny is that he would have probably gave him this work back in Jezreel if he didn't run from a picture. Which is even greater because it shows you the grace of God. What did Isaiah say? God going to do what he going to do. 
Now, you may get off the path, but God also says, I'm going to make all things work together for my good. So it might take a little longer, but I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. I just got to get you in line with me. Now, here's what, what's the cool thing. It wasn't just anointing Haziel to be king of Aram. Look at verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Japhat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu. Those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. And let me just paint this picture of what God just did. God said, Ahab may not have been revived, as in revival. That's okay. I want you to anoint the next king to replace him. God said, Elijah, you're down because you're alone. Let me introduce you to your friend and your successor, Elisha. You see, God is letting Elijah know your work will never be in vain. Just get your mind off of the labor now and maybe understand that your work might be carried out in the next generation of the one you're supposed to father. And I think that's where we get caught up in the now and not who are we raising up. God said, Jehu will kill, Elisha will kill, Hazael will kill. He was saying, all, all the people that you don't think justice will be done, oh, there will be justice. The ones you're anointing, they're going to take justice in my name. And then God said, I've got 7,000 people that I'm preserving that you have never known about. You realize the past two or three chapters the entire time, Elijah, the entire time, he's been saying, I'm alone, I'm alone. The entire flipping time, God's been hiding 7,000. In other words, Elijah, you have never been alone. So be encouraged. Others love me and worship me just like you. You see, his work was fruitful, but he just didn't see it. But you don't do it to see it. You do it to glorify God. And sometimes you see the fruit, and sometimes you don't. Elijah saw all that God was telling him. He had a new picture, and he was encouraged by all of it. And it all came from now that you're refocused to my work. The picture that should drive you is, God, what would you have me do? And don't let anything stop you, not even the Jezebel. Don't let manipulation take you off course. Don't let anything paint a picture over you other than the one that I'm putting on you. So you better ask yourself, what's your picture? And is it in line with God's? Now, talking about what's your picture, this is how I want to end this entire message. The last few verses of 1 Kings 19 I hope this message has spoken to you tonight. Verse 19. Elijah went out and found Elisha, son of Zaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. <coughs> and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. 
Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then he walked away. That's, that's kind of random. Like, what would you do if you were out plowing a field, and all of a sudden some dude threw his cloak on you and just walked away? Like, man, what you want, you know? I mean, that's, that's Groves High School. Just Verse 20. Elijah left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. <clears throat> so Elijah returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Elijah throws his cloak, or mantle, on him. It was a sign of Elisha's prophetic authority. And Elijah just walked away. And immediately, Elisha's response, look at it. He kissed his mother and father goodbye. He slaughtered all of his oxen. He used the wood to build a fire to roast them. He passed the meat to the entire town. The town ate. Then he went to Elijah as an assistant. Now, it says there were 12 yoke of oxen. That means there was 24 oxen. Meaning, Elisha had a considerable estate having that much to take care of. So when he answered this prophetic call by Elijah just putting his mantle on him, there was a considerable loss in the natural. But he left it all. He left his family. He left his estate. He left everything. You see, the picture that drove Elisha was not a secular loss. The picture that drove Elisha was exactly what Elijah said. He said, think about what I've done to you. You know what Elijah had done to him? He showed him that God had called him. In other words, God called Elisha, and Elisha said, there is nothing else worth holding on to but the picture that God has called me. And I don't even know what the picture is completely yet. But if God wants me to leave it all for him, none of it's worth it. What is your picture? Let it be the one that God wants to paint. No one else. His plans. His purposes. Don't let anything get in the way of it. What's your picture? God has a plan for each and every one of your lives. It has a plan for what you're to do in the local church. This lie about God, you don't have to be a part of a church, to, that, that's, that's a lie. That's a picture that God never painted. I'm going to go ahead and tell you very boldly, God painted a picture that every single believer is to be part of a local body. That is the picture. When you hear someone speak differently, you need to let them know that they are following a false picture that is not of God. There are plans for you for your career. There are plans for you as a man, as a woman, as a son or a daughter. He has got a picture for your lives. And we have got to start pursuing what that is and not what everyone else, including manipulative Jezebel spirits, trying to paint over us. Elijah Elijah's was missing it because of fear. Don't let fear take away what God's plan for you. Don't let manipulation take away what God's plan for you. Pursue him. And let me just tell you this, as we live here tonight, as we leave here tonight, 
if something has spoken to you tonight where you've thought, I have gotten out of the picture, it's as easy as what Elijah did. Just have a talk with God. And say, Lord, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm mad. And I need you. And let him take you where he wants to take you. Because he's going to get you back to the picture. My Bible says that my God will never forsake you. Never give up on you. we got to become a people who believe it. Amen? What's your picture? He's a good God, isn't he?